Welcome to Bob Cargill's Marketing Show, a ridiculously awesome podcast bursting with insightful commentaries and intriguing conversations on the topics and issues that are on the minds of marketers, advertisers, social media, and PR professionals today. Hey, everybody, this is Bob Cargill from Bob Cargill's Marketing Show. Hello, hope everybody's doing well. It's Friday, December 18, 2020. As we record today, this is episode 118. Love that. We're, we're racking up the episodes. Very excited about that. Hope you're listening to all of them. Hey, there's snow on the ground. There's over a foot of snow on the ground. Came over yesterday and, 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 and the night before it started. And, and we got hit hard here in Sudbury, Massachusetts. I don't know what the weather is like where you are listening, where you are watching, but I hope everyone's doing well. We're obviously well, well, well into the pandemic, hopefully about to put the pandemic in the rearview mirror. The vaccine's out there now, and, and over the next few months, we'll all be getting that vaccine, and we'll be getting vaccinated and, and getting back together in person. I can't wait sometime in 2021, probably about halfway through the year. Cannot wait for that. Happy holidays, whatever holiday you are celebrating, whatever holidays you are celebrating, happy holidays and happy new year. Hey, I have a great guest with us today. Her name, Karen McFarlane. She is CMO and founder of K Media Partners and president of AMA New York. That's the New York chapter, the American Marketing Association. And that's the big thing we have in common. Karen and I are both, well, I am a past president. She's a current president, but we, we both, I've walked in the shoes she's walking in right now. Um, we have AMA in common. Karen, thank you for being here today. Welcome. Hello. Hello. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here. I'm wicked excited to have you here, Karen. And I told you right back here, I have your name on my 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 little cool <laughs> sign, and you're the first podcast guest to have her or his name on that sign because it's a brand new sign. It's <laughs> I hope it uh, you know it's a one more way of me welcoming you to to the Bob Cargill's Marketing Show. Hey, let's start with the way I start with everybody. I'm going to ask you to. I didn't read your bio or anything like that. I just said what you do because I want you to, to drill down and, and tell viewers and listeners all about your career up to this point. You can give us all the details if you want or, or just the, uh, the, the elevator pitch, if you will, the 30 second version. Tell everybody about yourself. Okay, um, I actually don't like this question, <laughs> but I'm gonna give it a try. So um, I have been in marketing for, I don't know, 25 plus years, I stopped counting. Uh, primarily, I work at, well, I almost exclusively work in the B2B side with tech firms, although, you know, I do dabble outside of that industry um, from time to time. You know, it can be anywhere from a startup or, um, you know, a well-established business or enterprise. And I primarily deal with those large sale deals, you know, the, um, those enterprise sale deals. I started... I didn't start in B2B. Um, I actually, I went to college. I thought I wanted to be in film and music. And so I, I majored in, in that area at NYU. And um, I think my goal was going to be, was to be a producer. But uh, 
you know, I quickly found out that through a bunch of internships, that, that might not be the life for me, although I still dabbled in it um, when I took my first job at HBO Home Video, which was in the entertainment business, right? But it was in the marketing side. So I kind of fell into marketing. And on the side, I always had these side businesses um, that was still in the entertainment industry or the music industry because I still was excited by that, but I just didn't know how I was going to make a living off of it. And of course, especially back then in the what was that, 1990s, you know, there's a lot of skepticism about how you make it in the music business, which I, I guess I fell into. Um, but from there, you know, I went from HBO. I started um, at a, uh, it was a small startup called uh, Bolt. And it was really one of the first social media networks for teens. So that was a very quick lesson, right? And what it meant to be in a very fast paced environment as opposed to being at HBO, which is, you know, obviously more corporate and, and, and quote unquote normal in that sense. Um, but I really wasn't happy at the startup. And so I left, right? I didn't have a job in sight. I just wasn't happy with the commute and the work that I was doing. And I, it took me about, I don't know, six to eight months, but then I started consulting. And it was the best thing ever, right? I just, it just opened up a whole new world for me because I like to have a challenge, right? And when you go and consult with different companies, you have to learn a new industry all the time. And so I got to put my, ma my marketing acumen into practice um, over and over again, because I kept challenging, challenging myself over and over again every time I went to work with a new company. And so that was like my industry of choice, right? was consulting, right? And I've done that pretty much since, since then, except for a small stint where I um, accepted a job where I was consulting for about three years. But after that, I came out and I uh, decided to primarily focus on B2B. And I think that was in, I want to say 2011, um, I can't actually remember right now, so long ago. <laughs> but that's when I just started focusing and, on B2B tech. And, and this B2B tech and, and this consulting you do, this is your own company. Is that correct that you were founder of? Yes, my own company, um, and I bring in very talented folks that specialize in other areas. And I'm actually um, working with a design boutique, and we're about to partner, right, probably in 2021, to um, merge our companies and form a boutique agency that offers wow. full-scale marketing um, and design services. That so, is exciting news. It is exciting. Are so, we the first to hear that publicly? I've been talking about it a little bit. Okay. I mean, we were going so it's fast. No secret. No secret. No, yeah. we we were um, moving towards it very quickly in March, but then of course, pandemic hit, so we kind of slowed down a little bit. So I think 2021 will be the year we can regroup and really push that forward. But we've been doing projects together this whole time, so it's just about formalizing the project. 2021 will be the year we all regroup and <laughs> hopefully, <laughs> hopefully get back exactly. to normal business as exactly. usual. Hey, so Karen, telling me in telling us about your background, you know, I realize, and, and I'm also recalling our conversation, I don't know, a month or two ago, other things we have in common besides AMA. So, you know, I was maybe 15, 20 years ahead of you in New York City, but I too had dreams of the music business or entertainment. I went to Brooklyn College grad school and in the early 80s, 
I worked at RCA Direct Marketing and Warner Brothers. And, you know, but it was from a marketing advertising perspective. I could have gone in to television and, and film. That was one of my goals. Let, let's say I wanted to, but I got my first job out of grad school accidentally in, if you will, accidentally in direct marketing, meaning I had all this writing experience, so they hired me and, and the rest for me, you know, is, is history, lots of years of history. <laughs> but, but the similarity, you know. Very similar. I was enamored with the Bright Lights Big City and, and thought I'd be in entertainment and working in a high rise my, my whole career and um, uh, not so much. I fell into marketing, but I love marketing. And, and I applaud you for having your own business because I had my own business in the 90s for seven years and now I have my own business again. To me, it's the best way to go, be your own boss. It, isn't it a great feeling to have that oh, autonomy? My goodness. Oh, yes. And you know, I had a great example. So my, my dad owned his own business um, and eventually it sold a couple of times, but eventually I think IBM has the IP now, right? But um, so I, I, I grew up in that environment of entrepreneurship um, from, I don't know, when I was little, I don't even remember. I used to work for him sometimes, begrudgingly. Right? I didn't think that was interesting or fun. I remember when he talked to me about um, becoming more involved in the business. I was totally into the entertainment world. And I was like, no, what you do is boring. Well, what he did was B2B tech, right? if, when I think back. But at that time, that didn't resonate with me at all. You know, I wanted to be, like you said, in the bright lights of everything. And so even when I was working at HBO, um, actually even before then, I think, or maybe whatever, around the same time, I had started my own business, um, was managing artists, right? And then that moved into um, starting an independent record label, right? And with, with another, with my business partner, as a matter of fact, I actually need to do some research on this. But thinking back, we might've been one of the very first female, black female owned independent record labels. Wow. In the industry. Look at you, um, that's awesome. Well, if we weren't the first, we were one of the first, right? So, but we didn't know what we were doing at that time. We were having a good old time, you know, striking deals. We were doing a lot of uh, bookings for artists um, at, you know, various venues around the country. You know, so I was doing all of this on the side while I was working at HBO. Um, that was inconsistent income. I mean, when you're, you're shopping an artist, you never know what's gonna happen. And, and of course the artists create all sorts of drama for you sometimes. But um, I was always working on my own business, even when I was, you know, um, yeah. fresh out so, of college. So, so you're entrepreneurial in-, in Yeah. And, and again, you and I have that in common. I've dabbled in a lot of different things over the years, but mainly, again, you know, once I fell into marketing out of grad school, I've stuck to the same industry. I've just worked at a lot of different places and, and now the second time I, I, I'm on my own and, and doing things like this podcast, because you can do things like this when you're your own boss. When I work with somebody else, and I loved all my bosses and jobs, but you didn't necessarily have the freedom. I, I want to talk about AMA um, specifically. We'll, we'll get that covered, and then we'll talk a little bit about marketing in general. You know I have a lot of questions for you. <laughs> and, 
in the next 30, 40 minutes. So excuse me if I, I cut you short in, in any time. I never mean to. It's just I want to make sure we cover a lot of ground. Let's talk about AMA, your role as president of AMA New York. What, how's it going? What's it like? What the challenges and highlights uh, in the last six months, you know, the pandemic especially? What has that done to, to the Well, I'm... I'm, I'm a past president and a current president because this is my second term. So the oh, I did that too. Around, yeah, yeah. You I did, did that too? Okay. I did two years, yeah. And awesome. you're limited though, you know, only it's term limits. And I know, that, which is completely fine. <laughs> it's I completely guess maybe fine. you can join another chapter somewhere. and Maybe you can yeah. try and start all over again, right? Um, I don't know if I would do that. But, but that means you're, you're doing a good job if you're doing it for your second year in a row. I think so. <laughs> I hope so. I'm <laughs> the just no one else who was definitely... <laughs> no, we, we had our president-elect and everything. Actually, you know, what was what was nice about it was the president-elect when we were talking about succession planning was like, Karen, I think you should really do it again. So I was like, oh, yeah, no. He's like, no, 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 you should really do it again. We had a meeting with the executive committee, and um, I said I would think about it. It took me about a month to think about it, and then I came back and said yes. And that was right before the pandemic. Um, so maybe I would have said no <laughs> once COVID hit. But, um, you know, the <laughs> yeah. second time around is is – is much better. I think you get some traction after the first year, you know, and yes. can really keep your agenda going, which I think is, is really nice. I think, you know, the initial challenge um, was just around, you know, I think as a board member, you have an understanding of how the organization works, but as president, there's just a completely different, you know, level of responsibility that you have to wrap your head around and kind of figure out how you're going to make those improvements. And, you know, when I started, one of the very first things that I wanted to do was make sure everyone had a voice, right? Um, and that was really, really important to me because these are volunteers and they're sharing their, their time and talent and expertise. And you wanna be able to cultivate that and give them the voice to do that. So it was a little bit of a culture shift that needed to happen, but um, we got through that successfully. And um, you know, then it was just kind of acting on programs that we thought were gonna be uh, you know, better for the AMA AMA New York community. And I was actually really happy that I was president when um, the George Floyd murder um, happened because I really felt I was there on right time, right place, um, in the right role to be able to really kind of push through some initiatives, not only with AMA New York, but also for AMA in general. And for the past six months, in addition to obviously running the organization, which I said is a little bit easier, given that um, I've done it a second year, and also a bunch of people we brought on in terms of new board members, they've had their first year, just you know, they've got their their ground in, and you know, we're just we're just leaning into our creativity at this point. It allowed me to focus on you know diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives from a marketing standpoint. And when you looked around, that really wasn't discussed in the past, you know, or not too much. And so we had a real opportunity to explore how marketing can influence um, DEI from all the different pillars that it, you know, essentially um, uh, supports, you know, in an organization, in any organization, you know, no matter what, what it is. So that's been really exciting to kind of push through some of those types of initiatives on a national and local level. Karen, I'm applauding. Kudos for you, um, to you. You know, not only did 2020, you know, bring the pandemic, uh, but it, it, it also surfaced 
these issues such as social justice and, and racism in this country and, and diversity, equity, and inclusion is now, are now things that every organization, company, institution, you name it, we all are paying attention to. And when you said right place, right time, that, um, you could say that again. And I know you're doing a ton for AMA New York as well as national. So that's where the applause comes in. And I'd love to hear more about it and tell you know, anyone watching, listening, you know, not just AMA, um, with, you know, regardless, you know, at work, at home, what can people do? What should people, you know, a lot of us have been finally saying things, the right things, but what action can we take to support DEI? Yeah, I think, you know, that's, that's a really great question and it differs depend, depending on if it's personally or at work, but it all really kind of starts with um, really trying to have a cultural sensitivity and talking to people, right? Really understand what your own biases and, and preconceptions are and try to throw them out the window and learn about the people around you, right? Also, um, don't ignore the conversations that you are hearing, like, you know, there are groups, there are groups that have been complaining about different things for a very long time, right? I mean, we talk about, you know, diversity, equity, inclusion, diversity incorporates a lot of different groups, right? So it's, you know, gender-based, sexual orientation, race, ethnicity. Um, with the AMA, we focused on the BIPOC community. It's just a huge, you know, a huge undertaking. And because of the George Floyd situation, you know, we, we wanted to um, center people around a concept. So we centered around and amplifying, centered around centering and amplifying um, Black, Indigenous, and people of color voices, the BIPOC community. Um, but a lot of these exercises can be used no matter what you're talking about. And so it really starts with a conversation. In the workplace, it really starts with the people that are part of your organization and where they sit in your organization, right? So take a look at your leadership. What does that look like? How many women are represented, right? You know, how many women of color are represented? I mean, you can dive down into different areas and having a seat at the table. And I love to say, you know, it's okay to give people a seat at the table, but do they have the mic, right? So you don't wanna put people there as, you know, you know, people are afraid of tokenism or window dressing. You really wanna be thoughtful and intentional about curating diverse voices and empowering them across the organization, that's number one. And number two, when you think about your workforce in terms of recruitment, you also have to look at um, the support systems, how you're promoting these people, what are your retention numbers look like? That's gonna give you a sense of how you're building inclusive cultures, right? And that's super important for sustainability. And then as you do that, you're working with those people in those groups, look at your stakeholders, look at everything, look at your systems the products and services that you're offering. You know, I'm in B2B, right? So it's, it's harder to see, right? Um, uh, brands, you know, acting in the right way towards DEI. You know, some of these, these, these other companies you can see like Nike's a great example, right? Like, what did they, they had that, uh, that commercial, you know, like for once, don't do it, right? And they were talking yes. about don't make, don't make excuses, you know? Yes. Um, Barbie had this, I just loved it, it was so cute. 
um, I just happened upon it. Barbie um, has this YouTube channel, you know, where, you know, the characters interact and they mm -hmm. had, I'm going to say white Barbie and black Barbie, Barbie. I just don't know if those were the names really, right? But they had this conversation about different treatment um, mm -hmm. that black Barbie had, you know, as opposed to white Barbie, right? So it was a really simple conversation that young people, you know, that play with those toys could really comprehend and start that conversation. Teaching opportunities. Yes, exactly. Hey, and you, you mentioned Nike a couple of years ago when Colin Kaepernick took a knee on behalf of social justice and, and I believe specifically, correct me if I'm wrong, um, against police brutality. Um, he, he was the first and became the, 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 I, I'm trying to think of the word, um, he became associated, uh, you know, he pioneered, uh, was the first to, to take a knee and um, Nike didn't an ad about him, I believe, and, yeah. and stood by him. And, and I did a video, I do a lot of videos on YouTube and I call it take a stand like a big brand because Nike did. And so they're one of the big name companies that have had the guts to, to get behind this issue, am I correct? Yes, yes. I mean, they fully embraced it and they fully leaned into their mission. Um, and I think that's what companies need to do, right, in general. Whether you're a B2C, you know, D2C, B2B company, take a look at your mission. Um, lean into it, especially if it's something that you, 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 know, you stand for and, and look for ways that you can create that type of inclusive environment. You know, when you think about B2B, as I mentioned earlier, you know, it's not something that you can outwardly see as a consumer, right? Because of, you know, just the nature of the industry. But, you know, again, you look at your team and your employees. Um, you look at your thought leaders. How diverse are they, you know, in terms of panel discussions and speakers and content that's being put out? Um, you look at your surveys and your ad campaigns and your target market, right? Like typically in B2B, the primary demo is a white male, right? But we know that we're selling to a diverse group of people. So, you know, you have to look at those processes or those, those campaigns and, 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 and those efforts and see if there's, there's barriers that you're not quite seeing. And the way that you're going to see them is when you bring in other people because they're going to have a different viewpoint. A different lens. Yes. And yes. that's where you'll see so um, gaps and opportunities. It, it's, am I right? It can be very complicated and, and probably daunting for, for those who haven't been there, done that. And that's probably more, more than, than less um, organizations. This is new ground. Um, uh, and, and it's challenging. And are there people, enough people such as yourself who are, are capable, like yourself, of initiating this within organizations or do these organizations, I think, I hope you, you know what I'm saying, do they have the capabilities themselves or do they need to go out and recruit, say, diversity officers or people who have this experience and, and I would think that would be people of color, indigenous people, uh, people that reflect that which the company should be reflecting going forward. Do, yeah. do, I mean, I think it's twofold, right? I think that, 
yes, having a chief diversity officer is super important. And what's their role, right? It's about exploring and helping them uncover, companies uncover the gaps and opportunities, right? They're not gonna fix it alone though, right? So it is, it's a cultural shift that needs to happen. Yep. Yep. And that shift needs to happen from the top, right? Yep. So one of the initiatives that we're working on with the AMA um, that I'm spearheading is uh, curating a group of executive marketers, right? That we can talk to about what their challenges are, their barriers, and potentially how the AMA, either at a chapter level or a national level, or maybe AMA is not a vehicle for them, um, but how we can support them in advocating across their organization for DEI and help to spearhead that cultural shift. I, I love how you articulate this a lot better than I am trying to articulate <laughs> and summarize what you're saying. But the word curate, I love, and, and you know, it, you're picking, selecting, finding, I think all that means curate. Yeah. The people who can have the capabilities, as I was saying, to make sure and we're talking specifically about AMA, but I also wanted to broaden this because our yeah. audience is people of all kinds in marketing um, so that organizations, companies, institutions, nonprofits, commercial, B2B, B2C, anywhere, anyone, that there's, a, uh, there's the diversity at the top on down that is commensurate with the diversity in this country. Yeah. That is that again, it's probably a simplistic way of summarizing, but yeah. right? It, it exactly. We, yeah. Exactly. And it's something I mean, we should have done a long time ago. Of course. You know, <laughs> so you know, we could talk about that for ages, but at least we're doing something yeah. now. I mean, yeah. I think um it's it was encouraging for me to see, and this happened before George Floyd, that um CEOs were signing the CEO action right? Um, mm -hmm. Which was, you know, commitment for, you know, having inclusive workforces. And I think it was, I think the numbers up to when I last looked, maybe 1400 CEOs, um, you know, and, and which I think impacted maybe 13 to 15 million employees. I mean, that's pretty huge to have mm -hmm. that commitment. And so, you know, that's great. And now what does that look like throughout the organization? And every organization is different, right? But you're going to have to have your senior leadership buy into this and help and help that trickle down effect. I mean, some of the things that I've, you know, it's hearing, you have a lot of people who, who do care about this, right? But they don't know where to take it within yeah, the Yeah, that's, that's part, a big part of what I was saying earlier. They have yes. no idea where to begin. You do, and I know there are others like yourself who, who are, are, you know, have all the uh, resources and knowledge how did, where do those companies start if they're looking around at each other and saying, throwing their hands up in the air? <laughs> well, again, it's like, it depends on the, the um, organization. There's one um, client that I have, I think they're doing some really cool things. So um, um, one, they've started something, I think they call it like community pairs, right? So they're starting a community, with community pairs, right? Community pairs, yep. So they, um, they took, took a look at, you know, their employee base and they're from all over. And so they've paired people with each other to have conversations with each other, right? So you're just getting to know people in a different light, right? And they also do like a weekly 
weekly 10 minute stand up meeting, which is hosted by a different person in, in the company every single week, which also gives you another layer or another touch point to get to know people, you know, you know, more than just an email or a quick Zoom, you know, official Zoom meeting, right? It's a more personal approach. So that's something they're doing internally along with some other goals that they have around, um, you know, um, creating a diversity statement and surveying and really just, just diving into what that means within their culture. So they're trying to make a cultural shift, right? And also what they're doing is they're partnering with um, organizations and HBCUs to make sure they're building a pipeline right into their organization for people of color right because they looked at that data and that they saw that there's a gap there i also have a friend that works for a very huge company i can't really name them but you know everybody knows them and you know they're taking a look at their hiring practices right so they thought they had a very good hiring practice that got you in and out the door pretty quickly and it didn't um one of the key benefits of it is it didn't compare um candidates to each other it just put them through a cycle, whoever made it, made it through the cycle first, you know, got the job. But the breakdown in that is um, the network, right? Most of the people that come in are through referrals. And if your employee base yep. is yep. a one group, then that's what's gonna come through the door, mm -hmm. right? So there's a it, breakdown in that process. It perpetuates itself. The cycle, the, exactly. Yes. Exactly. So, you know, that's, you know, when you have a huge organization, like just what I mentioned, there are so many different pockets that you have to explore, right? In order to see if the system is excluding people and then break down those barriers that have probably existed for maybe decades, right? So that's a, that's a tough job to do versus maybe a smaller company, like the other one that I'm mentioning, which it's pretty big, but it's smaller. Um, that you know is taking a fresh look as in their growth plan right around how they can proactively incorporate diversity and create um better connections across the organization are, are you available to mentor or or hire to help companies do what we're talking about is that Absolutely. part of what you are is that part of your job right now it's not part of, you know, it's, I'm so glad you asked that question. It's not part of my job today, but it is 2021, right? As Love I it. have. <laughs> Love it. Yeah, I'm thinking we need work. people like yeah. you, Karen. And I would think, you know, uh, uh, we need a thousand, if that's possible, you need to clone yourself a thousand times <laughs> over and, and, you know, go all over the country, you know, one state at a time, one city at a time, one company at a time make sure they're doing what we're talking about. I, it's, it, I would think it's a monumental task, but maybe once it starts, then it perpetuates itself in, in a good way, in the way we're talking about. Completely. And I'm working on a system just, just like that, like really key, because it hasn't really been talked about before, you know, how marketing can influence the AI, right? And so I'm, I've, I've been researching, exploring this and using my, my 25 years of experience, 25 plus years of experience um, to cultivate like, I don't know, process or action plan around, around this. Obviously you have to be customized for every, you know, company based on what they are, but you know, all these different touch points. And I think that there are areas that people don't necessarily think about all the time 
right? I mean, it's down to like, again, in B2B, you know, your channel partnerships, right? But if you just think about partnerships in general, who are you partnering with? And, and are you perpetuating certain cycles? Or are you opening your doors? So, um, you know, just having that different perspective and galvanizing the troops to do that and giving everyone a voice. At the end of the day, it comes right back to that same concept, you know, is giving people a voice and trying not to, you know, uh, uh, shut people down or, or exclude them, keep them out, right? So that's what's really important in the effort. Yeah, you, I mean, I feel like I'm watching, you know, a national uh, news show um, you know, in listening to the number one expert on this topic, I'm telling you, you know, we need your voice to be heard more often and, and louder and clearer, you know, in, in so many areas, you know, AMA is one thing, but then let's get you, you know, out into the, the bigger world. Um, and like I say, clone yourself and let's solve this problem. I, it's so important. Um, you know, it, it, it's sad and it, it truly does sadden me that we're, we're talking about this kind of thing. You know, we, I think we all wanted in the past to think, you know, we had outgrown this and we were better than this. Um, I guess the, the, you know, mixed blessings that it all has surfaced because maybe, and I hope, mm -hmm. you know, my heart, you know, cross my fingers, say my prayers, I'm hoping, you know, this is the beginning of the end of these issues that that people like you will help us solve this problem and we will be able to to put, you know, racism in the rearview mirror. Um, it's definitely a marathon. It took us 400 years to get here, so it's going to take a little while to get out of it. But you know what? The, the good part today is that people are willing to have the conversation. They're open to it. And I think that makes it a lot easier um, for everyone to get to that end, that end goal, so. Well, I wanna, you know, maybe not today because we could talk forever, of but course, we can yeah. keep talking about this, so, but, <laughs> but it will never be able to cover it all. Meaning, I, I, what I'm trying to say, I wanna continue this conversation anytime, um, uh, you know, Karen, I'm, you know I'm available and I want to take action and I wanna see the people around me take action, every organization, every company, you know, personally, professionally, you know, this country, I mean, it's been a particularly tough four years. Frankly, I'm very optimistic as yeah. of January 20. <laughs> yes, <laughs> Yay. you do. <laughs> <laughs> We've all breathed a sigh of relief. We won't go there. We don't have to get too detailed right. about politics, but I think we're gonna have a good, you know, as of January 20, um, things are gonna be brighter and, and hopefully we can tackle these issues. And like you say, it's not gonna happen overnight. And, and sure, I'm like everybody else, we want this, you know, quick, immediate solution. No, I know that's not going to happen. And it's going to be a lot of work to do. Um, of course. For all of us. Um, for all and, of us. And just, I know we're going to move on to a different topic, but I just have to say yeah, um, no. that, you know, this is why representation is so important. Because seeing, you know, Kamala Harris, right, yeah. as being, yep. you know, <laughs> yes. you know second most powerful woman, you know, person, forget person who happens to be a woman and a woman of color um, in the White House is incredibly inspiring. And, you know, obviously Barack Obama was incredibly inspiring, um, inspiring when, you know, he became president. But just to see more of those things yep. really changes the fabric of our nation. 
And so I just, I just needed to say that, you know, because of, no, of you, you, women of my age, I am still as giddy. <laughs> you know, well, you better believe I am and, and you don't know me <laughs> that well, but it, it's very evident on social media where my politics lean and, and who was, uh, probably endangering themselves due to, because of COVID, but who was out on the streets of Boston um, the day Joe and Kamala were announced uh, winners, but me and my wife, along with hundreds of others, dancing in the streets. Um, yes. We were wearing our mask and keeping social distance, but I'll never forget it. We danced yes. in the streets. I was um, dancing at the restaurant I went to, so yeah. <laughs> I was like, yeah. sit down, I'm like, no. <laughs> no, so this is, hey, we can cover all this territory, Karen. Yes. Yeah, this is... You know, I not only can we, I want want to. Um, it, it's a marketing <laughs> show, but we can talk about anything, and yeah. and this does affect everything we do. You know, personally, professionally, um, work wise. Um, if these companies, I so I've done a couple of videos, at least one specifically on this, uh, and but the generally this idea I I talk I've talked about before. Win win. You know, take a stand. Um, um, address these important issues, am I not correct that not only is it the right thing to do, it will probably help their business over time because yes. this country has changed, people. It's 2020, it's going to be 2021, and look all around you, and it's not what it was 30 years ago. Um, you know, you want to be more successful. Number one, you should change and do the right thing. Number two, it's going to help your bottom line. Am I right? You're absolutely right. I think there's like a McKinsey report or something that said that um, for every, uh, hopefully I'm quoting this right, like for every 10% um, increase you have in your racial and ethnic diversity, your earnings go up, I think, 8%. Hopefully, hopefully I'm, I'm saying that right. Or, yeah. Um, anyway, but the main point is, right, at the end of the day, Companies are in it to make money, right? And they're going to focus their attention on things that drive revenue. You can't get away from that fact. And so that's why it's really important to put measures around these things because that's where they're going to, you know, put their budget, right? And, and mm -hmm. their time and effort. So mm -hmm. it's not only a feel-good thing, but to your exact point, it is a revenue driver. And particularly for, um, I think where you can see it most clearly, in these B2C companies, you know, when you're ignoring entire markets, yes. right? If you are just focused on one monolithic yes. you know, group. And also, they need to get to know the other markets because even though I am a black female, right? I, I don't represent all black females in America. Actually, my parents are from Jamaica, right? So I have a different experience, right? In terms of the Afro-Caribbean side versus, you know, black American side, traditional black American side. And so, you know, it goes back to the heart of marketing, which is understanding your customer. Yes. Right? I love that. <laughs> no, your audience is, is key. If there is no audience, um, doesn't matter how good your products and services are. I think the audience is probably the most important part yes. of the equation. Um, you, you said something that got me thinking, you know, um, you know, and I started it by saying it's good for business. The, the, the Boston Red Sox, my hometown team here, um, I'm in Sudbury and, and Boston, just 40 minutes away. I've been a Red Sox fan my whole life. Uh, I'll tell you a, a personal quick story. Because um, when I said I've been 
taken a stand myself personally. I, I, my actions, you know, speak, uh, I put my actions where my words are, if, if that's the yeah. right expression. Um, the Boston Red Sox on this big banner outside Fenway Park this year put up a huge sign along the Mass Pike that said Black Lives Matter. And I quickly um, praised them for that. And on Facebook, um, went within days and took a big picture. You know, I wanted to see it and put it up on Facebook. It was my cover photo on Facebook for a while. Because of politics and, and some of the issues going, going on in the world, um, you know, not everybody agreed with them putting up such a big sign. And, and I was surprised, but it, it, perhaps I should have known better that on Facebook, you know, there were some people who said, oh, that shouldn't encroach into the sport or into, you know, a, a, a baseball team's marketing, if you will. Mm -hmm. And I yeah. disagree. And I think you and I are going to be on the same page, but you can explain it better than I can. Why should it matter to the Red Sox? Why should it matter to Nike? I think we've already yeah. said it, but can you articulate that for if yeah. some of my, I have 1400 friends on Facebook. They're not all, not everybody's going to agree. <laughs> but for those who didn't agree with me that, Hey, that we should have that big, you know, billboard and that, Hey, I'm happy to see the players taking a knee because I know why they're doing that. Can you explain to those who don't understand? Um, so here's the thing. At the end of the day, I mean, Black Lives Matter became controversial because people don't really understand the message that, um, you know, it was, trying, it was portraying, right? It's this grassroots movement that has become so incredibly powerful um, and a unifier across the nation. And, but I've, I, I venture to say, if you put anything else in front of, you know, if you took out the word black and you put something else there, it wouldn't, no one would, would complain about it, right? It's because it is rooted in what has been a very divisive um, construction, because race is a social construct, right? For the past 400 years. So that's why it gets, you know, all this negative attention. But if we go back to, you know, these principles of marketing, which is, you, you know, you have to focus on your customer. You create things, right? Every brand creates things for people, right? And what we are trying to do is tap into people's emotions and connect with them, right? It's very customer-centric. And so what we have, we've known this for a while, but what um, this movement and George Floyd's murder and all the different things, even the pandemic, has bubbled to the very top, right? Is that customers want to do business with brands that care about them, right? And so you have to demonstrate that and has to be authentic. It can't just be a moment, right? Um, it can't just be throwing money at an organization. It has to be lived throughout your organization. That's when we go back to leadership and culture so that all of those things can filter out to, you know, through everything that you do, through the ad campaigns, through the products that you create, you know, um, just to give a really quick example, Dove Beauty, right? Yep. Sometimes they're good, sometimes they're bad with their messaging, but no one's, no one's perfect. So it's, it's, it's all good, right? <laughs> In the, at the end of the day, but if you, 
maybe you haven't noticed because you don't have black hair, right? But they've created a line of products, right? That are now, that is now for hair like mine. That didn't exist before, right? And I don't know the inner workings of them, of their organization, but I have to um, believe that A, they took a look at the market and they saw that, you know, black women, I don't remember the number, but it, the amount that we spend on hair is like ridiculous, <laughs> right? Because that's we'll we'll do whatever we have to do to get our hair done. Um, and so they looked, took a look at the market, and they saw they had this gap. And they took a look at their customers and saw that they weren't being inclusive, right? And so they're taking advantage of that. Now, what I like about what they're doing is that they're really leaning into that in terms of um, really trying to connect with what. Mm -hmm is important about me and my hair and the challenges that I'm having, mm -hmm. but also these other conversations versus a company like um, Band-Aid, for instance, when you know, yeah. the, the whole Aunt Jemima controversy came up, right? Let's just make some flesh colored Band-Aids. Yeah, they yep. were in the news, yep. You weren't doing that before. <laughs> it wasn't important to you before. We were still yep. there. Yep. Right? Flesh is not our flesh. We know this already. Mm -hmm. So it becomes inauthentic. Um, so, so I think, I think I know. If you really want to connect with your customers, A, you're gonna to have to get to know them. You're gonna to have to get to know them very specifically in terms of their culture, their desires, their needs, their, their challenges that are specific to them. And you're gonna to have to lead with empathy. And that is why you see some of these brave companies leaning in to that yep. type of messaging, right? And we just have to keep watching to see how they back that up. If it's just not to support, but it comes to the action of their products and services. I, I asked you the question because I knew you, you could articulate it, say it, encapsulate it a lot better than I, I could. Everything you just said, ditto. <laughs> <laughs> um, it started with the Red Sox, and, and yes, I applaud the Red Sox for that big billboard, and, and everything I've seen is they are backing up you know, that billboard with, with their actions, as, as are a number of other companies. I'm going to slightly segue, not, not a yeah. ton, because everything we're talking about um, still is, is obviously related to, to marketing and business. So, so that topic is still on the table. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to back you up on Dove. Um, corroborate, it's funny you mention them, not for the reason you mention them, but I have seen them do some good advertising, one in particular that I cited during the pandemic. So maybe we talk a little bit about marketing during the pandemic. Um, they did an ad about washing your hands and it was a quick ad and it said, what are you doing? Something like in the next 20 seconds, you should be washing your hands. This was the beginning of the pandemic when everyone was being advised, you know, it was new to everybody, wash your hands, wear a mask, social distance. I loved the line they had in this ad and I've talked about this before. They said, we don't care what soap you use, just mm. wash your hands. Mm -hmm. And that got my attention I've seen them in the news before for good advertising. So I'm really glad. I did not know about the example you gave. Now I have another uh, case study, if you will, to, to look into and maybe cite in future presentations. Thank you for pointing that out. And it's stories like that you need to continue to point out because again, we're not, we're not all the same, but we all have so much shared experiences and we're all this together. We mm -hmm. need to be realize we may be more the same than, than, than we think. And, and, um, but we need to trade stories and yes. And yeah. So <laughs> I'm glad you traded that story during the pandemic. 
how has that affected your business and in, in, for better or worse? And how do you see marketing changing in the last six to eight months pandemic? And, and do you think those changes will stick? So that's a big open-ended that's question. That's a big question. Right? Okay, so for my business, it definitely slowed down, right? So especially well, in the beginning, right? Because um, I think we were all in this holding pattern to see what would happen you know, with the pandemic, when, when we go back to work, how is this affecting things? Um, but, and so everything kind of just slowed down a little bit. It didn't dry up or it, but it was just slowed down in terms of activity. Like, you know, should we be marketing? Do people even care, right? Um, and people didn't, for the most part, depending on what it was. Um, and then, especially for, you know, I think with B2B, right? Business has to continue, right? So, um, once people got some level of comfortability, I mean, I think the whole work from home thing kind of threw a lot of organizations for a loop. How is that going to work? Mm -hmm. Right. Um, mm -hmm. cause you know, it's in, in my view, it's been a slow adoption. There's still some legacy of, oh, you have to be with each other all the time. And there's definitely benefits to that. I'm, I'm not knocking that, but, um, in some cases there was still this reluctance to, um, allow people to work from home because they didn't think it, it would be productive, right? There's a product productivity concern with that. Um, but once companies started to adjust and people started to adjust their home lives and, you know, getting back to work and, and also probably being thankful that they had a job, right? Because as, as we went further into the pandemic, you know, there's more devastation that was happening. Um, you saw companies really do what I think American, American companies can do best is innovate, right? They, they had to pivot um, and they had to do it fast, right? And so I think that um, that challenge, that I kind of talked about a lot earlier when I was talking about why I like to consult, right? You're in this new industry. Now these companies that, and, these, and people had to really kind of think through how they're gonna do something differently. And in some cases, they found better ways. To do it, mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. um, and maybe some things aren't that great anymore. But now you're now you're going to see people asking questions like, um, "Do we really need to meet in person?" Right? I think when we come out of the pandemic, there's still going to be a lot of that. Oh, we can meet, but then we're going to kind of settle back, right? Into yep. huh? We could do it a different way this time, mm -hmm. right? Um, they found new channels or ways to better optimize those channels because they were focused on it, right? You couldn't mm -hmm. do live events anymore. And there's a whole lot of things that go into doing live, and I'm talking about our B2B side, um, you know, putting on a live event, um, showing up to a live event, optimizing that live event, right, for your, your funnels. Um, but now they're virtual events and you have to reinvent what that looks like. Mm -hmm. It's a bit of a rocky road. But now you're optimizing these online digital channels in a completely different way and using your time probably more efficiently and more productively and, than and, have. And those online events, so yeah, a lot of people, myself included, might find them more difficult to pull off and uh, maybe more exhausting, ironically, doing yes. things on Zoom. <laughs> you know, you'd think it'd be easier. It's not, and it, it can be innovating. But the upside is they, a lot of these big conferences that you might not have been able to afford or travel to, now everything's accessible to everybody um, for less. And yeah, that I would think would stick post pandemic. We will realize that 
wow, you know, it's accelerated the pace of technology. I mean, in, in the in embracement, if you will, of, you know, the embracing of technology, people now realize all the good that uh, technology can bring. And yeah, we don't want to over rely on it in person in most cases is better, but you know, using technology is sometimes cheaper, sometimes more scalable. And, you know, certainly in this busy, fast paced, crowded world, it, it's gonna make sense, I think, going forward. Oh yeah, definitely in some cases. And I think it just means you have to make a business case, right? For how you're gonna approach the various different channels that you're using, right? In person versus online. Obviously there's still some wonderful advantages to being um, with people, right? The nonverbal yeah. is so important. Right. The camaraderie, the, the networking. But it's just about thinking through that more strategically instead of it just being something that you just do. Because mm -hmm. Hey, have you seen, so we, we, we mentioned Dove. Are there any other, we mentioned Nike. I mentioned the Boston Red Sox. I don't want to forget to ask this question. Any other brands that you look up to for their advertising and marketing, and, and that could be pandemic or not, but for whatever reason? Um. You know, whatever reason. Um, so just in terms of the pandemic, <clears throat> I'm sorry. You know, I actually was watching like a lot of CNN during the pandemic. As do and, I. <laughs> I'm a CNN fan. Um, and I really became, I mean, I was just watching it because it was news. I just, I didn't think of myself as a fan of CNN or anything. I just happened to watch it. Um, but when they started doing ads around um, the masks, right, and it not being a political statement, um, when they were really, and they're really focused on, it seems, helping people understand what they need to do around the pandemic. I know there's a lot of mm -hmm. other political conversation happening. Mm -hmm. When it comes to the pandemic itself, right, I really feel like they're, they're very concerned about their audience. That's how it comes off to me. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, asking important questions, <clears throat> holding these town halls, yeah. you know, having these ads, those are, they're using all of their mechanisms to get the word out about how we can be safe and healthy. And any brand that is using their um, the power of, of, of their their might, right, to do that. I actually just, their platform, thank you. Um, I, I look up to, because it's so important right now with all the other noise. You brought up a great point, and it's something I've talked about before, and it's something any marketer should be aware of, and it ties back to what we were saying earlier when we were, we were talking about diversity and inclusion and equity. Um, you need to know your audience, and your audience right now is suffering, is, is struggling. You need to show empathy. CNN does do that. I know what you mean. Any leader should be doing that. Any company should be doing that. And if we talk about marketing per se, empathy is more important than ever. And there's another something that probably has surfaced in the last six, eight months that is gonna stick, I think. And I like that change. I think businesses, I think brands, marketers, advertisers, have, have, have seen the light, if you will, that, you know, they need to be human. You know, people yeah. do business with people. 
And we need to be sensitive as business people to our employees, to, to our colleagues, and to our customers. And it's a win-win because everybody's happier. And frankly, everyone is going to do more business with one another because they're going to yeah. like each other more and respect each other more. And what could be better mm -hmm. than that? Yeah, yeah. And I think I think the real winner too in this whole thing, I mean, at the end of the day, is small businesses too, because they do that best, right? That empathy, yeah. empathy the empathy, yep. uh, play, whatever I don't want to call it a play, but um, they do that best. People feel very connected to those businesses in their community. And throughout this pandemic, what has been really heartwarming uh, to see are just local, you know, the neighbors really just purposefully wanting to support businesses. They were not, maybe they weren't thinking about it as heavily before, but now they're like rallying around yes. their local businesses, not so much the big box brands, right? Mm -hmm. Hotels, but their local community. And I think that's very heartwarming and that's gonna stay. I agree. And the big box brands, the, the, the behemoths of business need to beware that 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 is a trend and so they can look at the small businesses and the mom and pop stores and say, hey, we need to be like them, even though we're, 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 we're giant and, and, and we need to be more personal than impersonal, um, you know, more personable than, than promotional. Um, you know, the, the human side of business is more important than ever. Karen, I do a lot of social media. I think, you know, that's part of my consulting gig. I, I'm a copywriter, I'm a, a teacher, and I'm a social media practitioner. Do you use social media personally or, or do you help your clients with it? And, and tell us about that if you don't mind. Yeah, sure. So I personally am not a, a social media expert, right? I, like there, so I bring in some wonderful people that know how to work those channels and tools right, better than I do. Um, I personally use, I'm on all the platforms really, um, LinkedIn, Twitter, uh, Instagram, and Facebook. I probably use Facebook the most because my friends and family. So, you know, and then other than that, I think uh, LinkedIn is probably my second most used tool. Um, but, oh, and I've just, not just, but I'm now into TikTok just from a purely huh. pleasure standpoint, you know. As am I. I, I might have. <laughs> even put up a video earlier today on TikTok. Oh, I'm going to have to find <laughs> yeah. you, discover you. Okay. I, I'm not hard to find I, under my name. And, and I started using it in the spring because, you know, all the talk. And again, I do social media for a living. I can't not say I don't use TikTok. So I, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I definitely like, it's fun. And, yes. But I am using it for business for my personal brand. You'll see if you do look me up. I'm trying to do. I'm going to. I'm trying I'm to. Um, yeah. Well, <laughs> we'll see each other. I'm repurposing, um, if you will, some of my motivational videos and and putting them up there with some background music. It's kind of fun. And I also put my my wife and I partnered on a few. She has a sense of humor in the family, so she we've staged a few funny little clips. I think. Uh, but oh, you know, I love it. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully I'll get there. Right now I'm just like the voyeur and watching and it's fun down with everyone. But the problem with TikTok for me is it's at least an hour, probably an hour. You and get a half. sucked into it. <laughs> yeah. 
So I turn the notifications off because I'm just like, I, I can't, but then people will send me things that I need to see and then I'm, I'm just drawn right back in. So that's the only negative with it, but I, I just actually love the platform. So but here's something, again, I try to tie, connect the dots on, on this show and in life in general. Um, the business, I can't tell you how many people tell me, oh, I don't have time for that or it's silly or, you know, it's just a bunch of these kind of videos. And I say, yeah, but you got to pay attention to a big, you know, if this is your business, if you're a marketer, yeah. you got to pay attention to these trends. And there's something to be learned, you know, from TikTok, you know, it's fast paced, it's entertaining, it's sense of humor. I mean, maybe that will work even with your B2B clients, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, yeah. people that may be tired of always being so serious and uppity and you know 100%. what I mean? Stodgy, whatever the right words are. Um, let's let our hair down and have some fun. No, and that may right. sell, I mean, that may sell more products. It might sell more, you know, you're right. I mean, the other, I mean, right now it's fun, but I'm, I'm digesting it, right? Like the, the wheels are always turning in my mind. Like how could this be used um, for a client or something like that, which is like, you know, B2B tech, like how is that going to work? I, I know so, it's a stretch. Yes. It's a stretch, but maybe not. It's just, I haven't figured it out yet because I haven't put enough brain power behind it because I'm too busy laughing at what's going on on TikTok. <laughs> but, but repurposing. But no, everything is a Yeah. You can take quite easily because this is, is what I do for clients. I say, hey, we've created this video. How can we slice and dice it and put it, you know, everywhere? Yeah. You never know where you're going to get that, that big bang for the buck. I'll tell you on TikTok, there's a lot of engagement, like when Instagram started, and, and still to this day, Instagram has a lot of engagement. So you just never know. It, it's like fishing, you know, you want to fish with a fish target as a business. Um, yeah, I, I'm not doing it for any of my clients right now, but I think just there are lessons to be learned from using it that may be able to be used elsewhere, those, those learnings. That's how it all starts, right? You just, you have to um, play around with it and just kind of figure out, you know, how you can, you can best maximize it. And like, I, I really was at one point, and I think I was just being a little, I, I needed to just focus on it being fun, was trying to see it from the strategic point of view only. And I wasn't experiencing it as a, as a user when I first got on it. I said, forget that, I'm just going to experience it as a user for a while and see what comes to me through that. Mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. so that's kind of the methodology. Um, you know, I, I personally, I, as I said, like, I have a wonderful team that is very focused on social media and also SEO, right? Because yeah. Oh, yeah. SEO is critical. Very specialized skill sets yep. that you must stay on top of 24-7. And so I don't purport to be myself, but I surround myself with talent, right, that is going to bring all those ideas to the table so that, you know, we're building a strategy for that client that is you know, end to end and considers all of those, those elements. But if you ask me specifically about, you know, how to, how to leverage one of those, right? It obviously is different for every client, but I'm going to be a hundred percent honest by saying, I need to bring my team in here. That's yeah. how we're going to talk about it. Yep. <laughs> well, do you surround yourself like any good leader with, with good people? And these are all um, complementary parts of the whole, if you will. And, and yes. yeah, I'm, yeah, that's I read I read this book one um, some time ago. I'm actually going to reread it to see if it's still true to me. It's called "Go Discover Your Strengths," and really the concept was, you know, at, especially as an adult, you have five key strengths 
um, that you can actually focus on. You can't be good at everything, right? So focus on what you're good at. Yep. Compliment yourself with people who's, who can compliment your weaknesses, right? Bolster totally. Weaknesses. Yep. And so that resonated with me, and that's really what I have done throughout, you know, since then, since I read that book so many years ago. Um, and actually, I have a, a goal to reread that book to just kind of reevaluate what my strengths might be, you know, at this later age, you know, but that yep. was the core concept. And I tell that to my 17 year old son too, when we're talking about, you know, college and work. I'm like, so you don't have to be good at every single subject. I don't care what anybody says, you're not going to use half of it, but places where you find joy and find that you have a natural talent, lean all the way into those and seek support for the other ones. You'll be fine. You're clearly as great a mother as you are a, a business person, Karen, and human being. Um, I've learned so much from talking to you. Um, and we've covered the gamut. I'm going to ask you <laughs> one one more question, and and that is, do you see any? What would you predict for 2021? And and you can go further if you want in our field marketing, and it could you know. Re late to any of the issues we've covered today um and and you know it's an open-ended question what, what do you yeah, see the you know future? i think what's going to be interesting to explore right is you know we've been there's been this 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 focus obviously on like data right data analytics you know and essentially con converting people to data points right but now so that we can analyze, resell, you know, hopefully personalize and all that. But now we see this huge shift um, with this need for human connection and empathy, right? That's what customers want. And so I think what's going to be really interesting for 2021 and beyond is how do you marry those two, right? How do you um, take that data, but personalize it in such a way that it delivers on the empathy and the connection that your audience craves from you, right? And that converts into real revenue, right? So the data allows you to do some of that at scale. And that's why we're collecting it at every endpoint. Um, but it also takes away some of that one-to-one -one, yeah. you know, that customers need. So I think that's gonna be the challenge going forward because we've proven these two points out and now we need to bring them together. So it's gonna be interesting to do that. I think B2B has um, like, a, like a head start on that to some degree, you know? And so to see maybe the you know, B2C customers will take a cue from that. I mean, D2C brands probably actually are in that, that, that nice middle ground where they can kind of pick up on that. I mean, you know, these companies have exploded um, during the pan certain, certain companies have exploded during the pandemic, you know, like HelloFresh or um, Lens Direct, which I think might be going public, right? Because people couldn't go to the stores and do things in the traditional way, but they provided a service that was meaningful and personal to them, or like a warden partner who's customizing their glasses, right? So there's definitely lots of examples out there in market, and I think we're just going to have to move more closely to that with speed and with innovation and with a diverse group of people behind yes not even a question a, a great way to wind things down by by putting a punctuation mark on the importance of diversity inclusion and equity and i'm so glad we covered that topic during today's conversation um and you're an expert in that topic karen and i want people to be able to reach out to you 
if they are watching and listening and say, as they should, hey, Karen's the expert in this, Karen's the expert in that. Where can people find you? How do they reach out to you? Sure. So uh, my website is kmediapartners.com, K-A-Y-E, mediapartners.com. And I'm on LinkedIn. You can find me, Karen McFarlane. And I'm on Twitter as well and Instagram. Um, so same names. You just plug my name in and you see my picture. You can find me. Karen, I, you know, we just met, I think, a few months ago, thanks to AMA. And I know we're going to continue this conversation about diversity, equity, and inclusion, and, and marketing, and, and everything you're doing as a consultant down there in New York, right? You're in New York City, Manhattan, where I, I um, long, long time ago, um, that was my stomping ground, early 80s. I, I lived in Brooklyn, worked in Manhattan for a couple of years. Um, I, I have fond, fond memories of, of where you are living and working now. Um, but anyways, I digress. Thank you so much, Karen, for everything. No, thank you for having me. It was so much fun. I'd love to come back anytime. <laughs> yeah, well, I'll have you back anytime. And I know even if we're not doing a podcast, we're going to continue this conversation. Yes. Have, a, have a great weekend. Happy holidays to you and your family. Happy and holidays to you and all your listeners. <laughs> thank you, Karen. Yes, listeners and watchers, uh, viewers. Um, this has been Karen McFarlane. Farlane. Karen McFarlane, my guest, CMO of K Media Partners and the current president of the American Marketing Association, New York chapter. This has been Bob Cargill with Karen McFarlane as my guest, Bob Cargill's Marketing Show. I want to thank all of you for watching and listening on to my podcast and, and on YouTube and, and wherever you are listening and watching this show. Karen, thanks again. Appreciate it. Thanks, listeners. Thanks, viewers. We will see you, talk to you again soon.